me your pal uncle salem happy 2024 i haven't talked to you since last year yes that old joke um so today is a special um episode for a couple reasons one it is the first blank generation of 2024 and two is because we're going to do a little celebration with the doors and we have as a special guest today um a recurring guest that we've had a couple times before talking about um, albums and uh, his vinyl collection and just classic rock in general, but we've done Alice Cooper and Kiss shows before with Rick Riley. And today Rick is back and we're going to talk about uh, his take on the Doors and his Doors vinyls and all the important things uh, about Jim Morrison and company, uh, well as because the Doors are one of my favorite artists of all time, really. So today, a very special episode of Blank Generation featuring our pal Rick Riley and the Doors. 
Hey, brother. Great to have you back on the show. Um, thanks so much for doing it. Uh, let's get right into it. What, what was the first time you remember hearing and seeing The Doors, and how did it affect you? Uh, my dad used to play the first album a lot while my, while my mom was at work, and I remember being kind of scared of the song The End. So what are your early Doors memories? Well, the first time I heard The Doors, uh, it was probably in the 1970s. You know the song Light My Fire. Uh, that song always pulled me in. Uh, the solo that Ray Manzari did on the, you know, the organ and uh, Robbie Krieger's guitar, you know, it always pulled me in. So that's the first time I actually heard him. And it affected me as, uh, I don't know, you could say it was, you know, it was classic rock. Uh, and Jim Morrison's voice, you know, really captivated me. Uh, really pulled me in. Uh, some of the early memories I have of The Doors is basically I would hear them on, you know, FM radio, you know, which would play longer songs than AM radio. And uh, that always pulled me in pretty well. I heard stuff like Light My Fire. I believe I heard Break On Through. I would hear stuff like Hello, I Love You, which, of course, is a shorter song. Uh, that had more of a poppy jazz, well, not jazz, but more of a poppy feel to it. Uh, touch Me, you know, uh, Roadhouse Blues, L.A. Woman, Riders on the Storm, all the great classic songs. Those were the first ones I heard, and they were basically on the radio. They were FM radio songs, you know, like 105 FM, you know, when that was real popular back in the 70s and early 80s. You know, they broadcast there out on Lapeer Road, I believe. Of course, I think it's like a... It's like a, it's not rock anymore. It's something totally different. But that's some of my early memories of them. I remember riding in the car with my mom, and she would play stuff like that, and Aerosmith, Dream On, and, you know, all the Doobie Brothers, things like that, you know, Fog Hat. So The Doors was just one of those song, you know, bands that, you know, their credit to Jim Morrison's voice and the structure of the songs is what brought me in. That was what really affected me, and that's my earliest memories of them. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone Women seem wicked when you're unwanted Streets are uneven when you're down When you're strange Faces come out of the rain When you're strange No one remembers your name When you're strange When you're strange When you're strange 
a stranger Faces look ugly When you're alone Women seem wicked When you're unwanted Streets are uneven When you're down about the early days and what got you into them and everything, but um, what was the first Doors record you had and maybe some details on the album, uh, maybe run down your favorite tracks? We moved to Flushing, Michigan, 1983. Uh, I had Alice Cooper's Greatest Hits on cassette, and there were these guys that lived in the neighborhood, you know. This was out in Somerset, you know, it was out on Terrace Street, you know, it was near downtown. We lived in the apartments and they lived in the houses that were out there in the neighborhood. And there was a couple guys that were really into the Doors and they had Doors Greatest Hits, but yet they never really listened to Alice Cooper, so... We swapped tapes. We traded tapes. I'd let them borrow my Greatest Hits tape, and they let me borrow their Doors Greatest Hits tape. You know, the one from 1980 that has the red color on it and, you know, a picture of Morrison in 67. You know, it was focusing on him. And that had all the basic songs that I heard on the radio. And so I really got into that. That's the first one I actually owned. Um, as I got to know them, that music better, I would pick up those, you know, they had those two-in-one cassettes. They'd have a full album on each side of the tape. Same with the Eagles. You know, they did things like that. This was a band that was on Electra Records. Uh, the Eagles were on Asylum, which was like kind of like Electra, and they would had they had these two for one tapes. Like one side would be Morrison Hotel or Waiting for the Sun, and the other side would be like Strange Days or something like that. And so that's the first stuff I owned by them. Um, I first remember hearing Absolutely Live. 
And I thought that was such a well-done live album because, you know, there were songs on it that weren't on the studio albums. You know, ones like Who Do You Love and Love Hides and uh, Build Me a Woman. Of course, it has a complete version of Celebration of the Lizard, which has, you know, there's a segment in it, Not to Touch the Earth, and they tried to record that, you know, for a third, you know, at the end of their albums, they would have these long 10-minute pieces, you know, like the end, and uh, when the music's over. So they tried doing Celebration of the Lizard, but it quite didn't work out. Uh, you can hear it on the 40th anniversary disc of it. You can hear them attempting to record it, but it, you know, they can't record it as well. You know, that they did they did that song better live, I would say. And so those are the first doors related tapes that I had. Um my favorite tracks of those, I um I took to the first album really, really strong because that had all the really good songs on it, you know, the ones they did in the clubs. You know, I'd break on through and 20th Century Fox and Crystal Ship, of course. That's probably one of my favorites. He just hummed that one right out, you know. They just, they put music to it. He just hummed it right out. Kind of like Moonlight Drive, you know off of uh, Strange Days and um, of course Alabama song which was a cover of a really older song you know I really like the keyboards on that one and then uh, of course the end you know but gosh it's so long it's like 11 minutes long and that was a really creepy you know Song and some of the early tapes, they have that edited version where they take you know the she gets high part out, and in later releases they they add it back so you can hear you know she gets high, but you don't hear it on the original ones, the old ones. So to get the later versions of them is better. So, yeah, my favorite tracks, actually from the one that I like the most, which is the debut album, you know, I like Crystal Ship a lot, I liked uh, Break On Through, um, 20th Century Fox, uh, of course, Light My Fire, The End, Backdoor Man wasn't too bad, so... Far as that goes, that's what I like there. Before you slip into unconsciousness, I'd like to have another kiss, another flashing chance and bliss, another. Kiss 
The days are bright and filled with pain Enclose me in your gentle rain The time you ran was too insane Did you feel that way, and how did the Doors and Morrison affect you growing up, if at all, in any similar fashion, or, or at all, really? Growing up, listening to the Doors and Jim Morrison, I had all the poetry books. They had reissued them. You know, they weren't like the original ones. They had some original books from, like, back when he was still alive. I never had those, but I had stuff like an American Prayer, uh, whatever they're called. I can't think of what their albums, their books are called, but I did have some poetry books by them. I actually wrote a poetry, and it won a contest, and um, I credited Morrison as, as inspiration in the credits to the actual poem I wrote. It was about a girl I knew. And, uh, Morrison, you know, he, you know, I liked all four members. All, it wasn't just Morrison. I liked, you know, Ray Manzarek's keyboard organ playing. You know, they would bring in a bass player sometimes. Uh, I can't think of all their names, but uh, I think Doug LeBon was one of them. Uh, they had other bass players. I can't think of their names, but they would join. They would go through bass players sometimes. You know, you know, you see that funny skit about how the Doors don't have a bass player, but you know, Man Zeri could play bass lines on his key, on his organ. So that's where a lot of that comes from, especially on the early stuff. But, uh, 
far as the Doors and Morrison affected me growing up, uh, they affected me pretty good, especially in, you know, later in life. You know, I'm one of those completists. I had to have everything. And finding some of their stuff was pretty fairly easy. Stuff that was released through Electra Records. Now, they got other stuff, you know, they put out like on Record Store Day. And um, they got their own label called Bright Midnight Records. And there's a lot of stuff released on that, you know, mainly live shows that they did. And a lot of that stuff is getting very hard to find. So it usually goes in the hundreds. It's quite a bit of money. Uh, if you see it on eBay or listed. Um, but even if you go to a record store, it's pretty expensive. Some of this stuff, it's pretty hard to find. Um, so that's basically it for that. Uh yeah, that's it for that. I like your, your comment about being a completist. I know that about you. Um, just a little background. I don't know if people realize how much of a vinyl um, connoisseur you are. But, yeah, uh, I can tell from my own experience with Lords of October, you've been a big supporter of Lords of October since the beginning, and you were a supporter of my previous band, Free Will. And I know you got everything, Lords of October. You would have the little uh, Fangoria CD and you've you've recorded a couple of our shows, which is really cool. Um, but back to the Doors, talking about being a completist, you have all these records. What is your favorite Doors album, and what's your favorite song off that record? And I guess I guess why? My favorite album by the Doors, it would be the debut album. Uh, favorite songs, probably. Uh, Light My Fire, The End was a really clincher. You know, it has that uh, theme to it that builds up. And then, you know, in later mixes of the song, you know, they bring out the F word pretty heavily on it. You know, and he uses it like an instrument. You know, he says, fuck, fuck, you know, he's a, it's a pretty different. So he did that. And that worked out really well. The, the later remixes of the song sound a lot better than the early mixes. And these 40 and 50th anniversaries, you know, there's a 40th anniversary usually and a 50th anniversary of these albums. The 40th ones, they're just on CD, basically. And, well, some are on vinyl, but... Um, they're kind of, they're just remastered and they got like two or three bonus tracks, some of them. Like Soft Parade, you know, Morrison Hotel, uh, LA Woman. Um, favorite Doors LP would probably be the debut, you know, the first album. I thought Strange Days was a pretty good album. Because it had stuff like Love Me Two Times, it had People Are Strange, which are really good songs. And uh, when the music's over, it's another one of those long closers, which is what they tried to do on uh, Waiting for the Sun, you know, with Celebration of the Lizard. But the only thing that survived out of that was not to touch the earth, but they did a really good, you know, they did a really good 
version of that, you know, it sounds really good. And, uh, of course, 5 to 1, that was another good one. That was off uh, Waiting for the Sun. And that's all I can really say about that one. But that would be my favorite ones. And, of course, L.A. Woman, you know, it's got more of that darker, uh, bluesy-sounding thing to it. His voice was getting real deep, real dark. You know, you know, it was from years of alcohol abuse. You know, he abused himself really bad with alcohol. And he would do other drugs like acid and things like that. You know, and what killed him was uh, he tried using heroin. His uh, girlfriend of, you know, since 66, Pamela Corson, she had a really nasty um, heroin addiction. And uh, Morrison got a hold of that. You know, that's basically what led up to killing him. That and the alcohol, like, totally destroyed his body. And coming from somebody that knows about alcohol, I can tell you alcohol is not a good thing if you can't handle it right. So alcohol, yeah, that played a major part in ending his life. But, uh... Yeah, the first two albums are really good. Waiting for the Sun is okay. It ha- but it does have stuff like um some it has uh Wintertime Love. It has uh the unknown 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 soldier and uh it has Spanish Caravan, which are really good songs. But some of it's kind of filler sounding to me. You know, they were going to put a celebration of the lizard on it, but they couldn't, they couldn't record it right. They couldn't do it right for some reason. If you listen to the 30th, well, the 40th anniversary, you know, it has a version of it, which is just, it's not that good. So the only thing that survived out of that was not to touch the earth. Uh, Soft Parade has, is very horn laden, laden. It has a lot of horn playing on it. You know, it has a theme where it has brass on it and horns and everything. But on the 50th anniversary, uh, there's versions that they take out. So actually, it doesn't sound that bad. It sounds better without the horns on a lot of it. There's not a lot of songs that, that stand out on that. Um... Not to touch, uh, not to now, uh, not that one, but uh, tell all the people and touch me are not bad. Shaman's Blues, Morrison wrote. You know, then they did Wild Child, they did Running Blue, which has a little lyrical thing, you know, song, Robbie Krieger song, uh, tune in it. Um,. Wishful Sinful, I thought, was a really good song. And, of course, the closer, you know, Soft Parade, which is another one of those, like, eight, nine-minute songs that reach out really long. But as far as a uh, favorite one, it would be the debut. So, Wishful Crystal 
talked about some of your favorites and we've talked about Morrison and, and also how much you like the other members of the band which I feel the same way man I think everybody contributed something very unique that made up the totality of the doors but let's get into this collection a little bit uh tell us about your collection please I know you like to collect albums what's your doors collection look like you have a favorite or most unique things like that just talk about your collection a little bit please as far as my collection goes, I have uh, some of the 40th ones, and I do have the 50th ones. I have the ones, the 50th, the 50th ones, they come with a 180-gram remastered uh, version of the album, and they usually come with three CDs that have bonus tracks on them and unreleased songs. And uh, my most expensive one is the Soft Parade. It's really hard to find. And um, it has a version of Rock is Dead. It's an hour minute. It's hour. It's one hour long and three minutes of them just uh, 
they're just making up stuff as they go along. And um, that's where he gets a lot of the stuff he did at that infamous March 1st, 1969. You know, they they did this really bad gig in Miami, you know, and um, that's the, that is the concert where he basically told the audience to fuck off <laughs> in so many words. You know, and he was calling them slaves. And um, he was trying to, he was trying to, um, he was trying to be different. Like he was, you know, he was so known for being, you know, looking good and, you know, dressing a certain way and everything. And, you know, like being the, the ultimate rock star. And he was trying to dismantle that look. And he was, I mean, he was drunk off his ass. I mean, even for him, he was like totally out of it. Totally drunk. And he forget, he was forgetting all the lyrics to all the songs. You know, and he was making up weird noises and crazy noises. And it's just, it's an entertaining listen to say the least. It's on a bootleg. Uh, it's in Miami, it's live, you know, he breaks down and touch me, he say, he, he screams and says he's not gonna do that song, and he says, F this, and F that, and that's the concert that followed him, actually, all the way to Paris, it made him, uh, it made him leave the country, actually, that's part of the reason why he went to Paris, that and plus he wanted to concentrate on his you know, poetry, but you know he didn't want to do jail time either. But uh, yeah, I got the 40th and 50th uh, anniversary releases of those. I got a lot of the 50th ones. I got the debut album, which has some live ones that he does at the Matrix. It's another place that they you know played in the early days in California. And um, I got that. There's like a mono version of it. And uh, there's not a lot of outtakes to the album. They, basically, it's everything they were doing live at the shows at the time. But uh, the producer, Paul, Th- Paul Rothschild, you know, he would like push him and push him and push him in the studio. And uh, Morrison got sick of it really quick. And um, it became like a task, you know, it was like a major thing recording. And he was usually out of it, he was like stoned, or he was drunk, and he couldn't get a take right. And you see that in this movie that you were talking, that you're talking about, you know, about the doors, about Morrison, the biopic. Um, But yeah, it was like impossible, and... Rothschild didn't even produce Holly Woman. Uh, he dropped off as a producer after Morrison Hotel, and the assistant engineer or whatever, you know, the guy working under him, Bruce Botnick, he actually finished L.A. Woman. He produced it. But yeah, that's my collection. I do have some books. I do have some really good videos. I have a video of the where they do the PBS thing 
Um, I think I have a video of them playing live at the Hollywood Bowl. And uh, I have some of their uh, shows like that. But I don't have anything major. That's basically all I have. I have a making of the debut of the first album. But uh, that's as far as my collection extends. I have all the CDs of the remastered stuff. Even I, um, I even have other voices in full circle on one disc, you know, that, that was released that I'll get to here. But uh, that's it for that as far as the collection goes. Absolutely, man. That's, uh, that's killer. Sounds great. Um, I was obsessed with the Doors movie when it came out. I went to see it every Saturday for six weeks. No lie, every single Saturday. Uh, what did you think of the film? What did you think of the movie? How I feel about the film? Um, I got lukewarm. I have a lukewarm feeling about it. I think it brought out the worst of Morrison. Um, I didn't see it till it was actually released on you know VHS. But oh my God, you couldn't peel me away from the television. I, I was so into that movie. You know, like you said, you went and saw it in the theater like like a dozen times or whatever. You know, I remember seeing the review, the previews for it, and I said, this is one movie I got to see. You know, and there's a lot of it that, um, there's a lot of parts in it that aren't totally true. They don't stick the, to the actual movie, and it's sort of based from the book No One Here Gets Out Alive. You know, by Danny Sugarman. And um, it's not a bad movie, but it shows a lot of the worst of them. And uh, that was the only gripe I have of it. It shows him like he's just, like he's just this pitiful drunk, basically, in the movie. That was my initial feeling about it. Even though there is cameo appearances of John... Densmore and Robbie Krieger, I believe, is in it. Um, one of them don't appear in it, but uh, Paul Rothschild appears in it. And um, I think uh, Meg Ryan did a good job as playing his girlfriend. And I think the other guys looked really good. And I think, you know, they stuck pretty much to the story of what what went down and how crazy I was. But, you know, the parts of, like, you know, where he plays at the Mi the Miami concert, you know, they make up a lot of that. A lot of that's made-up stuff. You know, it's not 100% truthful of what happened. But it had a really good soundtrack. It's really good. It's a good movie to watch. It's entertaining, to say the least. But it, it's not my favorite movie. Though it is up there, I mean, I mean, I do love it. It's a good movie, and um, Oliver Stone did a really good job on it. And I think it's not terrible. It just it could have been a little better. I mean, they had this uh, asphyxiation, you know, with with the Indian showing up, you know, in different parts. And of course, that stems from the thing that happened when he was a little kid, and he saw that accident, you know, and. Of those Indians overturned on the freeway, bleeding to death. You know, and he puts that in the lyrics of uh, Peace Frog, I believe. Um, 
Morrison Hotel, which is probably their last really good hard rock type of album. Side One is where they're really good. You know, they do Roadhouse Blues, um, which has, you know, been covered to death. You know, and they do uh, Waiting for the Sun. Uh, they do uh, Ship of Fools is a good song. But, of course, Blue Sunday and Peace Frog, which are connected together. And those are, that's a pretty good track. kind of speculating on Morrison being that we're both big fans um what what kind of music do you think he may have wound up making had he lived uh had they kept playing music 
you know, I don't know what direction they really would have went in. Um, I know Morrison wanted to do his poetry, so who knows if there would have been any more music. If there would have been any music, it would have been more of a bluesy. I think it would have been more of a blue in a blues vein. Even though on the post Morrison, the two albums they did without them, they're not very bluesy. They're, I mean, they're kind of jazzy a little bit. Um, they're not terrible to listen to. They're they're okay. Ray, Ray Manzarek can sing pretty well. Uh, Robbie Krieger, he's kind of lacking in the vocal department, but I mean, he's a killer guitar player. You know, he could write some songs. But on those those uh, other voices and full circle albums, he's he's you know they're kind of missing the mark on those deals. But nonetheless, you know they're they're interesting to listen to. You know they're not terrible, they're not bad. Um, I actually own them now in CD. You know I had the vinyls of them a long time ago. And I would play them, and I would listen to them kind of regularly. Because there's something funny about the way they play their stuff. That's, you know, it's, you know, this, it shows they were a really good rock band. But, you know, there's no Jim Morris, and that's the unfortunate part. Um, so, as far as the albums go, yeah, those were pretty good albums. You know, they don't even compare to the ones with Morrison. But they're not bad on their own. I thought Tightrope Ride was a really good song. Why 
Well, Rick, thanks for joining us for doing this. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, for all the Blank Generation listeners, oh, we'll see you back here same time next week on SolidStateRadio.net. But I'm wondering maybe if you could uh, wrap this up a little bit with any memories, uh, any songs or albums or concerts that stand out to you in particular, anything else that you'd like to add? The concerts that stand out, the ones that I've seen, obviously the Miami concert was a big deal. You know, Morrison is terrible. You know, that's the bad thing about it. He forgets all the lyrics. You know, he he slurs his words. And that's from... You know what inspired that concert is when he saw this show called The Living Theater... And it was in Los Angeles like a day before. They played uh, April, what was it? I think March 1st. But February 28th or 27th, they were in Los Angeles and they saw this thing called the Living Theater where the audience, I mean, the performers would like strip naked. And this gave Morrison an idea Unfortunately, not a good one for him. You know, and a lot of the audience, like, stripped down and they were naked. And, you know, the thing about pulling his wiener out, I don't believe that ever happened. You know, they talk about it like he did. But I don't think he ever did. I mean, he pretended like he was going to, and it looked like he was going to. Of course, I wasn't there, you know, it was couple months before I was born but um, I don't think he did that but uh, he definitely was pretty big on the obscenities that and then the concert in New Haven where he got arrested on stage because he was talking about an incident you know that happened backstage with a woman you know, and there was a sh- there was a lot of over-the-top, pretty out-there shows. A lot of them are on these CDs or on these albums that are hard to find, you know. Like, unfortunately, that's the bad thing about collecting live albums by the doors because a lot of their stuff is hard to find on, you know, pretty expen- pretty expensive and um, I've looked everywhere. I've, you know, I've done my research, and a lot of the stuff is not cheap. You know, but the best one released is absolutely live. That is a really good live album because he sounds like he's more in form. He hasn't done anything funny. He can sing pretty well. Man, Zarek does close to you. They do Celebration of the Lizard. You know, they do all these different songs. And they do ones that aren't on other, you know, respective albums. Like Who Do You Love and, uh, you know, um, Love Hides and um, Universal Mind. You know, they do all these different things. Dead Cats, Dead Rats. And, um... It's pretty interesting. It's a really good live disc if you can get that. It's pretty, it's fairly simple to find. 
But there is other live stuff. There's live stuff on their box. They have a box set. Um, I have that. And it does have some stuff on there that's live. But as far if you want to put out two, three hundred dollars, you can get these other live albums. They just had a uh, you know record store day live in uh, Bakersfield, and it was in 1970, and that's about the time he was starting to do the really off the cuff, off the wall live you know recordings. The movie will begin in five moments, the mindless voice announced. All those unseated will await the next show. We filed slowly, languidly into the hall. The auditorium was vast and silent. As we seated and were darkened, the voice continued. The program for this evening is not new. You have seen this entertainment through and through. You've seen your birth, your life and death. You might recall all of the rest. Did you have a good world when you died? Enough to base a movie on? Thank you for listening to Blink Generation with Uncle Salem. And it's when we closer to Halloween, Halloween, 